G'day, guys, and welcome to the Coach Mark Carroll podcast. I'm Mark, and I'm with our head of nutrition, Sheridan Sky. Hey, guys. This week, we've got a cool episode, I think, something that is probably going to be very relatable to a whole lot of you, and it is on why are you not losing fat in a deficit? So this is a common topic I'm sure Sheridan gets a lot and I get a lot. It's that sense of the I'm in a in a calorie deficit, but I'm not losing weight. What's wrong? Or why is my calorie deficit not working? So Sheridan, let's go over a few key points we see quite a lot of common issues as coaches. Um, because if we are truly in a calorie deficit, what will happen? We will lose body fat. So let's look at six of the probably most common issues we see. So Sheridan, do you want to kick it off for the audience? Yeah, definitely. So I think that the first thing I'd like to start with is that, you know, when people say, oh, I'm in a deficit, but I'm not losing fat. You know, if you know Mark's methods and if you if you understand energy balance, you know that, you know, to lose fat, you need to be consuming less energy than your body's actually using and that's how you lose fat so if you know you're in a quote-unquote deficit and you're not losing fat it really just means you're not actually in a deficit but I find that just answering that way is not helpful because it doesn't give you any direction so the big one that I see is that people obviously use a TDEE calculator to determine what their maintenance calories are because from maintenance you're going to deduct some calories to be in a deficit right and there's a number of different calculations that you can use one of the the um the most common ones is the Harris-Benedict equation and there's a number of different ones that you can use but most people will go online they'll type in to google TDEE calculator, and then they put in their details, height, weight, body fat, et cetera. And the calculator is going to give them some kind of number, right? But what's important to remember is that this is a predicted number. It is not gospel. It doesn't take into consideration, you know, your history with dieting. It doesn't take into consideration if you've had any hormonal downregulations like thyroid hormones, for example, and not that hormones are the be all end all, but it affects your overall basal metabolic rate. And people take this and they think, okay, my maintenance calories is definitely 2000. And then they might deduct say 400, 500 calories from that. And that may not actually be their maintenance. So understanding that predicted maintenance is different to your actual maintenance. Exactly. So it's just a calculator estimate. And if you look at different TDE calculators, they often will give you quite different amounts if you look at um, a fair few different ones. So I think that's why you've got to start somewhere and just see how you go. Um, I think... I generally side on somewhere in the middle. So you might see a calculator might give you 1,800 calories. Another one might give you 2,000. I, I generally like to go somewhere in the middle for clients and then you just spend some time there to see how you go. But I think a lot of people get too caught up and they're not losing weight and they think mm. then it doesn't work. It's, well, the calculator, the estimate was just slightly wrong and therefore then you just make changes. Quite simple and then you go from there. But I think too often... We get two down on a random calculator on Google not mm. being exactly correct. And as well, 
also things that often used to work in the past. I know a lot of people go, well, I used to diet on 2000 calories when I lost weight um, three, four years ago, and I'm now dieting on 2000 calories three, four years later. It's not working. What's wrong? And they're not factoring and now they're activities lowered before they were doing 12 14,000 steps a day now they're a mom and they're not mm. sleeping as well they're doing 5,000 steps a day they're not taking into account that before they were doing five days a week of training and 25 sets of in their workout and then they're training three days a week all these variables you need to take in when you're looking at the calculator and a lot of people even with a TDE calculator don't get the that important activity setting correct as well mm. they don't quite understand when you set your TDE, you also need to consider your activity, which will influence things a lot. So that's why I think the calorie calculator is a fantastic tool. Like it's honestly to be able to use it for free online. And obviously mm. um, if you use my programs and soon on our website, we'll have a calorie calculator for you guys to use. It's a fantastic tool, but it's just a tool. It's a starting point. All right. So I guess the second point is I'm going to look at it more from a coach, like uh, working with people over the years. I've seen so many issues, at least in the initial consulting period. People come to me and they're telling me they're stuck and not losing weight. I remember one of my good friends, a client, Victoria, she came to me a couple of years ago and, and she was telling me how she tracks, she does everything. And she's just not losing weight and just made no sense. And I was talking to her, I, I use the term, I like to be a detective as a coach. In that initial consult, you really want to find out exactly what your client's been doing. You want to ask lots of questions. And she was telling me all about her meals and her calories Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I was like, cool, cool, cool. That sounds, that sounds great. And then what about like Saturday and Sunday when you're not at work? And then she looked at me kind of perplexed, like in shock. And she's like, what do you mean? I was like, well, you're telling me your calories Monday to Friday and your macros, everything when you're at work is planned out on the weekend. Like, what are you tracking? She's like, oh, are you meant to track on the weekends? Yeah. And she was full serious. <laughs> and then we kind of sat down and ran through her meals and she was like, oh, me and my husband, we often go and get burgers and, you know, it's the weekend. We, we have socials, we have some drinks and stuff like that. And before we knew it, her midweek, maybe 14, 1500 calorie days were actually then being wiped out by her weekend of 2,800, 3000 calories. And this was a, a girl who trained really hard, um, really smart. And on top of her nutrition Monday to Friday, but just a general population client, not understanding the impact of a weekend of really loose calorie control. And this is something you see so often is that we're really, really good Monday to Friday when we're in, when we're busy, we have that structure, but then on the weekend, we lose that structure. People really are surprised just how, how much, I don't want to use the word damage, but damage a weekend can do um, just by being a little bit looser. A lot of those foods you go out have um, when you eat out, they're so calorie dense when you're having a bit more fun, you have some drinks, it all adds up. And unfortunately, it can really wipe out a great Monday to Friday week of progress. 
Yeah, definitely. It sucks that calories count on the weekend, but unfortunately they do count on the weekend. So some strategies that I like to use with clients that say are general population and they are, you know, busy corporate people who Monday to Friday, they're busy, they're in the office, they don't really have time to eat, they don't know, they're not really thinking about eating. That's when you can sort of really attack being in a deficit because it's easy for them. But then if they're social on the weekends, you can look at either doing calorie cycling where you go lower calories during the week and then you go to maintenance for the weekend. So you can still have those social outings, but those social outings still need to be strategically, you know, approached. You can't just sort of go out and go YOLO. You can still have burgers. You can still have some drinks, but you need to be within your overall calorie amount. So that's, that's, definitely a big one so if you're not losing fat look at what are my behaviors like on the weekend am i tracking am i going yolo am i staying within my limitations and if you're not then that's definitely an area that you can start with yeah i think a lot of the time we or people are new to dieting don't realize again they think that calorie deficit has to be that every single day. We still want to look at that energy balance over the course of that week, that weekly energy balance. And that does mean that you can go more aggressive calories Monday to Friday, and you can go higher calories on Saturday or Sunday, but it is still very much about if your goal is fat loss, trying to be as accurate as possible. And if you're doing that, ideally then tracking on the weekend, because there's a big difference between going out and tracking your calories and going out and just going into ah, fuck it mode <laughs> and just eating whatever, especially when you've been pretty restrictive Monday to Friday. So you want to be in control of those high calorie days because it's very easy to have a bit of fun, but then that fun to really, really go quite overboard. Yeah, for sure. And those midnight or often 2am Macca's stops after a few drinks generally don't lead that, to that's the me best. without drinks I, I don't i don't drink alcohol and that's still me that was uh, me during covid mark wakes up at like 3am to have a jar of nutella and then he's like <laughs> all right so not the- sure why I'm not losing weight. <laughs> um so the next thing that i notice is inaccuracy in tracking methods. So tracking is obviously a skill that you have to learn. And, you know, I think people underestimate how difficult tracking can be in the beginning and that you have to learn, you know, how to do it. And there's a few things that I see clients, you know, they they don't, they're not doing wrong, but I think that they're doing certain things that sometimes don't really help um, sticking to it in sticking to a deficit. So, The first one that I see is that they are using the incorrect methods for choosing certain foods. So the thing with MyFitnessPal is it's easily accessible. Most people know how to use it. The problem with it is that anyone can go in and make entries. So someone can go in and be like, oh, chicken breast has this many calories, macros, et cetera. And it's not always accurate. And then even the verified ones may not be accurate. So when you think of this over the course of everything that you eat in a day, you can sometimes think that you're eating, let's call it 1800 calories because you're choosing the incorrect um, data to use in my fitness power. So the rule that I have with my clients is if, you, if you're going to be tracking in my fitness power, for unpackaged items, so think, you know, your meat, your vegetables, your fruits, your nuts, your unpackaged items, mostly your whole foods, you're going to use the nut tab. So N-U-T-T-A-B 
database, which is the Australian database, Australian database for food um, services, basically. So the accuracy of the energy that is displayed on, say, something like a chicken breast needs to be relatively accurate. So the way that you would do that is you would type in chicken breast NUTTAB, N-U-T-T-A-B, and it'll come up and they'll have a number of different options, you know, raw, cooked, whatever it may be. And if you choose that for your unpackaged items, you're going to be pretty close to being as accurate as possible. For your unpackaged items, obviously just make sure you're scanning the barcode and checking it against your uh, your label. So, there, there we, we wrote, I wrote a blog actually on the Learn platform and uh, go and check it out, guys. It's, it talks about sugar alcohols and fiber. It's a bit of a complex topic, so we're not going to get into it in the podcast, but even packaged items can have a large margin of error when it comes to the reported calories on there. So that's something else to look into. And the next thing with tracking is tracking in retrospect, meaning you get to the end of the day, you think, oh, shit, like haven't opened my fitness pal today and I can't really remember what I've eaten. I'll just, you know, I think I ate this. I think I ate that. And that never goes down well. And they did a really cool study on this. And it was actually looking at dietitians and getting them to recall their food intake throughout the day. And these are people who understand nutrition, right? They have a good grasp on nutrition. And they found that some people actually underestimated the amount of energy they took in that day by 50%. So if people who really understand nutrition well are doing, you know, underestimating to such a large portion, then us everyday folk are also going to be doing that. So if you're going to track, do it with intention. What I like to advise my clients to do is make a plan the night before Think about what you're going to eat and record it into my fitness power. It takes you all of five minutes. Yes, things might change throughout the day, but then if things are changing throughout the day, you can quickly jump on my fitness power, make a few adjustments, and you're not trying to chase your tail for the rest of the day. Yeah, good point with the um, study there. I think the study off the top of my head actually showed two things. I believe people underestimate their calorie intake by like 50% and then overestimate their daily activity by like Mm. 50%. So a study kind of showed why people think they're actually doing more. They think they're eating less and they think they're doing more training when reality they're actually eating more than they think. And then they're moving less than they think. So it's it's kind of interesting, both the two variables of fat loss um, you know, expenditure, you gain calorie expenditure up your movement, but then also your calories in. We all think we eat less. Um, we all think we eat less than we do. We actually eat a lot more. And then we all think okay. we actually do more movement than we think, but we're actually not moving as much, which is why, again, things like tracking your steps and stuff like that are really integral. So again, it goes back to if you're not if you're not really accurately tracking things, it's really hard to really measure your progress. And we as humans always seem to think we're doing better than we probably are. And that's why tracking things like your steps, your macros, your calories, et cetera, can be such a valuable tool to really hold you accountable. Um, On the topic of tracking on things like MyFitnessPal, going back to, again, my my 
coaching experience is a big issue I've had. And this is actually, we've actually really advanced clients. A lot of my competitors, pro bikini clients, et cetera, um, was making data entries in my fitness power. And those data entries are often things like serving sizes. So I remember, I forget what they're called, the brand, but there were um, these protein balls that they used to sell. I think it was a nutrition um, a nutrition station. And the protein balls, um, they had two protein balls in there and each packet. And I think each one was 200 calories. So it was 400 calories total. Um, and what a fair few of the, my clients were doing was they were thinking both balls in the packet were um were two it was 200 calories per ball and they were thinking a serving size was both balls for but in actual fact a protein ball was actually 200 calories for one but there was two in there so it was 400 calories so things like that so my clients even really advanced and they're all pts they're all at the same time having these foods they're actually having 200 calories more um, each of time when they're having snack, they thought they were just having a little low calorie snack of 200 calories, but they were actually having 400 calories just because the serving size was a little bit confusing um, and things like that. And one of the things that really makes, makes my heart break is when you look at this actual serving size of something like peanut butter, peanut butter, I actually absolutely love. And you see, Oh, a, a tablespoon of peanut butter. If you actually weigh what a serving size is of peanut butter, it does not look like much. It's not a massive heaped tablespoon, believe me. So this is something I used to do a lot myself when I was starting dieting. I was like, oh, a tablespoon of peanut butter. It's like I think a serving size was 20 grams. I remember weighing, putting, having the courage to actually weigh what I was actually having of the tablespoon. And I think the, the serving size a serving size is 20 grams. I think I was having about 55 grams per tablespoon. Yeah. It's actually but depressing what a serving is. It's it's depressing yeah. how small it is for sure. So that there with peanut butter, just by having a tablespoon of 55 grams versus 20 grams, the difference was about 180 calories or something, something massive, 200 calories, just from a tablespoon of peanut butter I was having at night. So things like that. I know you might go, oh, you know, 180 calories, big deal. But they add up because you mm. might be doing it on something else and then you might be have doing it on something else and there's 50 calories and there's another 80 calories. And all of a sudden over the course of the day, you've had a, you know, a, a sip of your partner's um, milkshake or something like that and their, their wine and things like that. And all of a sudden over the course of the day, your 500-calorie deficit has been wiped out, but just by little bites and nibbles of things, it all adds up. And this is why, and it's often those things that we're having bites of, what do we do? We don't actually track them either. We go, mm. ah, no, it's not in our meal plan. It's not in our meal plan or structure. So I'm not going to track it. And so therefore you look at the calories you've been tracking and you go, yep, that's a deficit. But you, then you're not accounting for those bites, the sips of the drink and stuff like that, which all accumulate. And so all of a sudden you think, you know what, I am doing what's on, on the paper. I should be losing weight. But in reality, the truth is you're actually not just having what's what you're tracking. Mm, and I find as a mum, and I don't, I'm sure many other mums and parents can relate to this, is when your when your baby starts solids and when your kid is eating, 
you start to take more like like sips here, bites there, licks of this, and you don't realize that you're doing it because you're just sort of sitting there with your, you know, your toddler or however old your kid is and you're helping them eat. And it does add up. And one day I actually, I was like, you know what, I'm going to just, I'm just going to do a bit of an experiment and I'm going to see how many calories I've actually accumulated throughout the day from licks, bites, et cetera. And it was something like 350 calories. So if you're trying to lose half a kilo a week and, you know, you're, you're in a 500 calorie a day deficit to achieve that around about, that's taking a big chunk away from your deficit. So yeah, definitely keep that in mind. And the next thing to just consider, and this is going to be more for, you know, people who have been either dieting long-term or for people who have lost a considerable amount of weight. So when you think of, you know, what your TDE is compromised of, it's, you know, your basal metabolic rate, which is just the energy you require to simply exist. You've got your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which is your you know, your subconscious movements, movements that you don't realize that you're doing, blinking, fidgeting, et cetera. You've got your exercise activity, which is your planned physical activity. And then you've got your, um, the thermogenesis from the foods that you eat. So basically those four components compromise TDE, but the massive component of TDE is actually your basal metabolic rate, which accounts for something like upwards of 60% of your total daily energy um, expenditure. And one thing with BMR is that your overall body mass is the main contributor toward what BMR is. So if you take a person who was 100 kilos and they've lost 20, 25 kilos over the course of a year or two, they are a smaller human. Therefore, they require less calories. So as you're losing weight and what was once working for you, if it starts to, you know, you're like, oh, I'm doing all the right things. I'm tracking accurately. I'm being consistent. I'm moving just as much as I was. Think about, you know, that metabolic adaptation. So have I actually lost weight and do I need to recalculate what my TDEE is? Yeah, that's... (laughs) Something I see a lot is when people have lost weight and all of a sudden they stop losing weight, then they just are in utter shock and think, well, what's wrong? Nothing is wrong. It's just a natural defense mechanism basically to weight loss. Just because something worked initially doesn't mean it will always work. And so if you've stopped losing weight, often people think what do I do what do I do what do I do and it's basic principles if you want to continue losing weight firstly assess that you're actually being accurate with everything are you being accurate with everything cool you are okay then we can either create a larger calorie deficit by consuming less calories simple you are losing weight on 1800 calories now you've plateaued for a while let's drop calories down continue to create a calorie deficit or on the flip side you can also look at then increasing calorie expenditure. So you've been doing 8,000 steps a day. Let's drive steps up to 10 to 12,000. Let's drive um, um, now introduce some cardio to increase calorie expenditure. Let's add a training session, et cetera. So there's many options, but the main thing is just because you stop losing weight doesn't mean you can't continue losing weight. You just need to make changes. And for someone who whose job is to often get people extremely lean for comps and stuff like that, 
if they stop losing weight at eight weeks out, we don't just go, all right, comps off. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's it. We give up. It's, well, they stop losing weight. So let's make changes. We're going to either drop calories or we're going to um, give them a break, might give them a diet break, which we'll get into another um, podcast. Mm-hmm. But there's always ways about it. But unfortunately, just because you've lost weight doesn't mean you're always going to continue to lose weight on those higher calories. It'd be fantastic if we did, but if we plateau, we just need a plan of attack to make changes. Yeah, for sure. And I think the last thing that both of us can agree on is patience, patience, guys. So a lot of people, you know, they, they've calculated their TDEE and then they'll message us and three days later, they're like, why aren't I losing weight? Or I didn't lose weight in the first week. Oh, I still haven't lost weight two weeks later. And they're just not being patient. You need to give your t- your body time to adjust to the data that it's, you know, you're, you're inputting to it. So, you know, think about things like how often are you weighing in? A lot of people don't realize that, you know, your weight, especially as a female, will fluctuate a lot. You know, you've got your menstrual cycle. How much sodium have you input? Have you recovered well? Have you slept well? So weight is not, does not always signify if it increases that you've gained fat. So what we really like to do, both Mark and I, is get our clients to take their average weight, which is, you know, taking your weight, if it's daily, you want to do that, if you want to do it four times a week, but then we look at the average weight across the week and then we compare it to the week before. And if nothing's changed in one week, we're not suddenly dropping calories and upping cardio and doing all these things. You need to give it a couple of weeks before you decide, okay, is this working? Is it not working? And remember, guys, all or nothing gets you all or nothing. So don't throw everything out the window just because you have one higher day when you weigh in. Exactly. And you can... Sure, go more aggressive with your calorie deficit to try and create faster um, faster fat loss, but then that also can, can come at a cost of your social life, harder to adhere to. Mm. So for the most part, I think people doing it, chipping away, chipping away, chipping away will be a very successful approach for the general population. But don't waste lots of weeks. So what I mean by that is you don't want to spend weeks and weeks and weeks being kind of unsure of – is you're tracking really on point. You don't want to waste two, three weeks where you get nowhere. So mm. if you're going to be in a calorie deficit, my something I always say to my clients is when I send them their calories or macros, it's like, okay, time to be in a calorie deficit. So now let's just do it well. Let's be accurate. If you're going to, going to do something, do it well. I'd rather you give me three weeks of being spot on than try to do six, seven weeks of hit and miss. So calorie deficit, guys, pretty simple. That's our key to fat loss. But you need to ensure that you're actually in a calorie deficit. Are you actually tracking correctly? Is your calorie amount you've chosen even correct? Often this will take time to figure out. Patience. And then again, just comes back to being really um, accurate with your data entries, consistent and ensuring that you're actually putting everything you are eating in your day into MyFitnessPal. Not just making MyFitnessPal look nice, but actually ensuring everything that goes into your mouth is actually being tracked. Yeah, definitely. So we hope that was helpful, guys, and we'll catch you in the next podcast. Thanks, guys.